time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, my friends. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of The Right Conversations. When you are listening to this, well, this is, let me rephrase. When this comes out, it is August 30th. And it's always interesting when you're recording a podcast or when I'm recording a podcast and I know that it's going to come out in the future and I'm talking today and I'm like, I hope that when this comes out, August 30th still represents <laughs> earlier. <laughs> and it's it's fascinating. It's like talking into the, it's some like back to the future shit, you know? Um, <laughs> so welcome. Happy almost September uh, when you're listening to this. And if you're listening backwards, happy whenever the fuck you're listening to this. Um, I am really excited to have a conversation today. Uh, a while ago, I pulled my, what I call my Insta fam, which is my, my community on Instagram and asked y'all, what do you want to hear about on this podcast? And I took everything that everyone said and I'm a nerd. So I made a spreadsheet and like tallied how many people said what, and then like prioritize them by desire. Cause again, big nerd geek over here. And one of the topics around non-monogamy specifically, and, and even more niche down polyamory is talking more about long-term polyamorous relationships and also the concept of conscious uncoupling and what these are, what goes into it. And I didn't want to make an outline because as you all know, this podcast is about conversations. It's not about structured interviews. It's not about um, making sure that we hit certain bullet points. I want it to be an organic, natural conversation. So I'm really excited uh, for you to meet our guest today who has courageously and lovingly uh, offered to come on to talk about this topic that they know from both kind of a, an academic slash coach slash professional perspective and, and also a personal perspective and personal experience. So today, officially, a conversation about long-term polyamorous relationships and conscious uncoupling. Carrie, welcome to The Right Conversations. Oh, Rachel, thank you so much for having me. And I'm, I'm so excited to talk about both of these topics because they connect um, in many ways. And I have myself had the experience of conscious uncoupling um, which I would say is not for the faint of heart because yeah, no. it's a, a lot of radical responsibility and intentionality um, and and leading to long-term relationships. And I know specifically I'm going to be talking about long-term polyamory. Um, so I'll just say that I went through a conscious uncoupling um, before it was really out as that those words, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which, you know, 
the the idea was coined by Catherine Woodward Thomas and made famous by Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin. But before <laughs> that even happened, <laughs> you mean they didn't create it? <laughs> they didn't create it. No. <laughs> but before that even happened in 2004, I had my own conscious uncoupling with my first husband. So I think the foundation of that idea is really looking at this um, way of uh, separation, divorce, um, you know, going different ways as a transition and not a failure. And I talk a lot in my podcast, I have a podcast, and I talk a lot about what determines if a relationship is successful or not. And, you know, we're like kind of brainwashed that success is, you know, about like how long, yeah. Yeah. how long a relationship lasts. Like longevity equals success, which is right. such utter bullshit. Such bullshit because yeah. I can name five couples that I can think of who've been married for over 25 years and are absolutely fucking miserable. Yep. And so what I love about this idea of conscious uncoupling is it looks at this as like a transition, you know, another yeah. like chapter in your life. And it, you know, conscious uncoupling has to do with how do you navigate the end of a relationship or like the transitioning of forms, right? Yeah. So yeah, husband and wife to whatever, you know, it's going to be after that, which is different for everyone. Sometimes, you know, people have no relationship after. For me, in my marriage, my first husband, Matthew, and I were really great friends. There were just parts and aspects of the couplehood mm -hmm. that didn't sync up. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that um, the separation was like all, you know, roses. <laughs> it, it, there were times when we we're like, we can't be in each other's world. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but it is the foundation again that it is a transition that what we experienced was a success in kind of our own personal growth and evolution um we went into it with intentionality with awareness compassion as much as possible not always successful in every moment um and as as open-hearted communication as possible so i love that yeah. And, and it really like going into it that way. And then also seeing the separation, this transition as an opportunity for personal growth, then helps the next relationship or relationships. So it's like an investment in yourself to like for your future relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So <laughs> We, I got so excited about this topic and I totally forgot to have you introduce yourself and tell people who you are. We're just like, let's just talk. You can read the bio, but you can, but quickly, will you just tell people who you are, what you do, totally. what lights you up in this world? And then we'll dive right back in. Yeah. So I'm Carrie Jarislow and I'm a best-selling author, um, a relationship, conscious relationship coach, really focusing on relationship diversity. That makes my heart sing because I've asked over and over, how do we come together in this world? And I feel like sometimes when we really like sit in a label, although that is really helpful in finding community, it also can really divide us. So what brings us together? Relationship diversity says, um, I am a unique person and I'm going to experience relationships in a unique way that no one else will. 
Um, and so it says that every structure and even like the in-betweens of all the structures is all perfect as long as I feel um, seen, held and honor myself. So I am a huge like, you know, lights on all about relationship diversity. And that's my podcast, Relationship Diversity Podcast. Love that. Love that. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I did not do you justice by no, just dropping in here. Um, okay. So I, I also want to name that for anyone listening who may not be non-monogamous, who may not be polyamorous, that conscious uncoupling is not exclusive to non-monogamy. And this is something that, you know, as a, as a therapist who has focused on couples and relationships and sex for as long as I've been practicing, um, plenty of monogamous couples actually come to therapy for assistance with conscious uncoupling. And mm -hmm. so this concept is not, it didn't, to my knowledge, it didn't no. originate in the non-monogamous community, but mm -hmm. now because non-monogamy has so much, um, intentional conversation and intention behind different steps that relationships take. I think that people have now associated it with like mm. terms like de-escalation and that all of these have kind of been lumped into, oh, that's for like these, um, quote unquote, alternative relationship, <laughs> you know, orientations or designs or styles, but it's, it's not, you know, mm -hmm. like you were saying, it's the transition from one form of a relationship into another, whether that's into co-parents or into friends or into a combination of those. Um, so can you share a little bit about, uh, let's, let's just keep on with uncoupling and then we'll get into mm -hmm. long term. Yeah. Um, what was your conscious uncoupling like? How did you identify that that's what you needed? Yeah. So, um, this was back in 2004 and Matthew and I had had been together since 1998 and um it was a long time it was a long it was 6 years and we yeah. were married and we were monogamous and you know we really like we loved each other you know we he was my best friend yeah. and the thought of losing my best friend was was really hard for me because you know we would spend hours talking about all different kinds of things and he was a he was a intuitive healer and he would he introduced me to a lot he was like my master class in intuitive living and Aww. um and i i really cared for him does that mean we got along all the time no we argued a lot we had different ways of um communicating of of dealing with conflict um, we, and, and that comes from our childhood. His was his, he saw his parents be more combative and mine were more passive. Actually, I never saw them fight until their divorce. So here I was very scared of any kind yeah. of um, disagreements and feeling that that would go right into divorce. That was my biggest fear of, in the marriage. And his was, no, we need to address this directly now. And with a lot of energy behind it, you're like, and, ah, right. So there were there were issues and the biggest issue was that we didn't have a really strong physical relationship and a sexual relationship which was really okay with me in the beginning because i just wanted someone to love me that was like my biggest need in that moment well as the six years passed um that became more important to both of us and so 
So he came to so me. So was that, sorry to interrupt you, was no that that way from the beginning? No, I don't think okay. so. I think we were really just thankful to have such a um, strong companionship, you know? And I talk about this a lot in timing of like relationship structure, you know, determining what you need at that moment will give you some information of why that relationship worked maybe in the beginning, but didn't work later in, you know, the relationship, which is a part again of the conscious uncoupling and the learning and the evolution that each person goes through in during a relationship during their lives. Yeah. So, so he came to me and he said, I think we can do better. And, and mm -hmm. I think we can have everything that we want and still maybe have our friendship as we navigate this separation. And I was devastated because of course, my biggest fear was happening, divorce. That was like, I was unhealed from my relationship, my parents' divorce. And that's what the conscious uncoupling was, was me healing my parents' divorce and how it affected me. And that is exactly what happened. So we went in wow. and 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 we went through the divorce together. We went to the same lawyer. And in fact, this is so crazy. We were signing the divorce papers and this song came on the radio at the lawyers. And it said, it, it, I I'd never heard it before, never heard it since. And it, the line was, and the angels sing. Like right as we were signing the papers, I was like, shit. All <laughs> right, that's a message. I guess this is meant to be. Um, I We were very, I feel very lucky that we both were very much attuned to our self growth. That's what yeah. made that conscious uncoupling happen. So I have had clients who one is very much in the concept of like, this is about my personal growth. I want to consciously uncouple. And the other person's like, you're a fucking asshole. I don't want anything to do with you. You are the reason for all of my pain and suffering. Mm. I hate you so much. And so really working with that one person who wants to grow and evolve from the experience. Yeah. Uh, while allowing their partner to have their own experience. I get asked that a lot. Can I consciously uncouple if the other person has no interest? And the answer is yes. Um, and, and this is very interesting. So that person that was my client is now in a relationship that is so fulfilling because they did their work. They did their work. They looked at it. They grew. They saw it in that cautious uncoupling, um, you know, context. Yeah. Whereas the partner is suffering physically, mm. mentally, you know, so. So if someone is in it, listening and they're in a relationship where they have thought about breaking up, mm. right? Cause that's the term that the majority of right. people are going to think like, should we break up? Should we divorce? Should we part up, separate? What would you encourage them to look at? Yeah. So I, like to encourage people to look at kind of what I just said, which is mm. who were you and where were you at when you started this relationship? And how have you grown, evolved, shifted, changed your needs, your wants, your desires? How have those shifted? 
And if you can have that conversation with your partner for them to do the same thing, great. Not necessary, but great. And I think it is, it is, um, you know, looking at, do you think that you and your partner can come back together Mm -hmm. and meet in the space where your needs, wants, and desires are met, acknowledged, honored, or is that not possible? If that's really in a place where it is not possible and you determine this either through counseling, coaching, therapy, um, whatever the way that you determine, then at that point can be the decision of it is time that we move on so that we can have, you know, more growth, evolution, um, healing in our lives and in our relationships. Is there a way that you recommend someone approach their partner if they do decide that, that would be different from maybe what we see in movies or TV to Mm -hmm. make it more of a initiation of conscious uncoupling conversation versus the, this isn't working. I'm getting the fuck out of here. You stupid dick. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Um, I, it it is going to be unique to everyone. Yeah. Right. Because I think it's really important. You know, I have this podcast episode that's like three things to do before opening up your relationship or to shifting your relationship structure. And I, I think that um, this kind of holds true for any kind of structure change yeah. is, to, is to really think about like yourself, how you process things. And then think about your partner, how your pro- partner processes things. And then think about how you can go into a conversation that's going to be the most supportive for the unique people involved. So mm. let's say like your partner um, is horrible in the morning, like grouchy, grumpy, you know, and seems to be most happy at night when kind of they're done with work and, you know, you know, that they're in a better mood for whatever reason. So really think about like timing when to have this conversation. Think about maybe breadcrumbing it a little bit, you know, saying like, there's something that I've been thinking about that I'd really like to connect with you about. Um, When would be the best time that we could set aside some time to, to have this conversation. So I am guilty many times of just being like, I need to talk to you about this. This has been on my mind. Right. Now is the time because I'm ready for this, you know, and, and where my my partner's like, I am not in the space. Right. So one of my partners I know likes to talk about things in person and we are not, Mm. we are not in person, but once a week. So thinking like, you know, like getting all of the little pieces to determine what is going to be the way that I can open this conversation that's going to support this person, my partner and myself. So that's like the pre-work. And then I love that because anybody who has listened to this podcast before or is in my orbit in any way, shape or form will know this is what I call asking for a container Mm. and not just doing the, 
approaching someone while they're emptying the dishwasher or folding laundry and being like, I need to talk to you about our entire relationship. And then their response isn't even to the, the content. It's like to feel to being taken off guard. Yeah. Like they're yeah. like, what the fuck I'm doing dishes. Like, what do yes. you mean? Talk about our relationship. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And having, so like my, one of my triggers in the past, I'm really working on this, but is shock. So I've dealt with ah. shocking things in my life, like death. I had my stepbrother was killed, you know, when I was 16 or 17, that was a shock. My parents divorced. Oh, so was sorry. A, I mean, it was like, it was one, you know, I saw <sighs> him three o'clock in the afternoon, 4.30, you know, he had been killed. So like that, the shock of my parents' divorce. <sighs> so shock is a big thing for me. So I need the like, breadcrumbing. Like that's really important. Yeah. That's really helpful for me so that I can kind of, um, know something's going on. Like if someone's dealing with something, like if a partner of mine's been dealing with something for years and then all of a sudden is like, I've been thinking about this, but I didn't know about it. Like that's the, so having an awareness of how your partner processes things will help you be as supportive as possible to bring up this really big conversation. Um, and Thank I you for sharing. That. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, this is now 35 years ago, 37 years ago. And, and, and I'm really working on how that shock has sat in my system. Um, a lot of reframing, a lot of healing with it. Um, so, you know, that kind of awareness is going to give you some ideas as to how to bring up this kind of big topic. And maybe it is in little segments. Maybe it's not just this whole thing of like, I've been thinking about this for a year and I don't want to be with you anymore. Like that kind of thing is like, whoa, you just dropped something so huge on me. And I don't even know what to do with that. Um, so yeah, I think like that's a way to start the conversation is to ex and and also to express from what you're feeling and not from what the other person has done wrong. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I want to skip just because I want to make sure that we get to both of our topics. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to totally. we're going to skip ahead a little bit. So let's say the conversation happens and based on both your personal and professional experience, what do you want people to know in terms of tips for navigating the process of conscious uncoupling? Yeah. Um, gentleness, compassion with self and with the other person. Because um, it is very likely, almost um, expected, that this kind of process brings up a lot of unresolved wounds, yeah. which is good because it's the opportunity to heal. So when I got divorced from Matthew, I knew this was about my dad. I knew it. And I went into very intense coaching because I was ready. Mm. And I 
went with as much courage and strength as possible. I came out three months and everything had changed. I had healed the relationship with my dad. I had healed my relationship with men and my relationships after that were completely shifted. It took perseverance, resilience, and courage. So like, I would say the biggest tip is to be compassionate with yourself and with your other person as much as possible. How can you cultivate or how can someone cultivate more compassion when they are struggling to access that and they're angry, they're anxious, they're you know, feeling all of these emotions that make total sense, yep. right? Given the situation, how can someone cultivate more compassion for both self and other? Yeah, I would say first is to focus compassion on self. And what that means and what that looks like can be, you know what, today I'm really angry and that's okay. I am not going to judge myself. I am going to allow myself to be angry, to go through this, to just, and however that looks like for me, maybe I'm going to sit in my bed and cry all day. Maybe I want to take five baths and like I process personally through baths. Sometimes Mm. when I'm dealing with massive, you know, self-judgment and criticism, I will take like five baths a day. I get out and then an hour later, I'm just like, I need to sit in a bath. That's just like giving to myself. So compassion is allowing yourself to be where you're at because you, it is harder to be in compassion for someone else when you're not giving that to yourself. Yes. When you're creating the space to allow yourself to be where you're at. So like, you know, I'm a business owner. So maybe in those times that are really hard, I step back some of my goals for a, a week or a month. And I say, you know what, if I can just do this one thing, that's great. Everything else, I'm going to allow myself the space to cry, scream, um, you know, talk to my friends if I need to go on a three hour walk. Whatever you can do, even if it's you've got five minutes, five minutes, I will sometimes hop in the shower for five minutes, feel the water, just pray, you know, like, help me through this, you know? So, so I have found that when people really focus on self-compassion and that is creating space for yourself to be exactly where you're at, it is a little bit easier to find compassion for another person. The Honeypot is more than the products in your bathroom cabinet. It's embracing that time of the month. It's staying balanced through the ups and downs, good sex and bad sex. It's exploring, it's learning, it's plant-derived. Powered by herbs and science, the first complete personal care system to get you what you need when you need it. Check out The Honeypot at Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and on thehoneypot.co. You can enter code RACHEL20, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-0, for 20% off your first Honeypot order on thehoneypot.co. Why is compassion so fucking hard for us to give ourselves, in your opinion? Because we're taught to criticize ourselves, and we're taught to compare ourselves, and we're shown these, like, 
insane expectations of what we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to be or what determines a good person or what determines a strong person. And it's all fucking bullshit because it's Instagram world where we're shown highlights from many people, not from all. You show real shit. And I really appreciate that. I try to do that too. Um, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's like this comparison and expectation. And we're not shown that it's normal to be fucking angry and upset sometimes, but also how to transition through that. If we stay angry and sad all the time, it will spiral. Well, it, it has the possibility of spiraling. Yeah. And that's okay for a little bit, but it's important to learn how to move through it. You know, mm -hmm. techniques to move through those times as well. Yeah. Gratitude is really like, is my thing. And like, there's sometimes I don't fucking want to be thankful for anything. I just want to be angry and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I go through acceptance. So I have an eight step program to move through. Like it's in my book. Why do they always break up with me? And, and I was, when I was writing that book, it's like, there's so much stuff about gratitude, but you can't have gratitude until you have acceptance, self-acceptance of where you are and what you feel and saying that it's okay. Yeah. Then you can move some of that resistance through to gratitude. You've got to have that acceptance space first. Love that. And to accept, we got to acknowledge first too. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. So I want to change gears here, even though mm -hmm. both of these topics we could talk about for a lot longer. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm like, oh, I have like 15 more questions, but we have two topics and not that much time left. So let's, uh... so, okay. When I polled everyone, like I was mentioning at the beginning, um, an overwhelming amount of people wanted to hear about long-term polyamorous relationships and not like, not like a five tips for long-term poly, but like literally hearing mm -hmm. about someone mm -hmm. who has had a long-term polyamorous relationship and yeah. has seen them. Yeah. Um, so let's just start there. What is your experience with mm. long-term polyamorous relationships. Yeah. Whew, I love this. So after that divorce and the healing, right? I said like I brought very different kinds of men into my life. Yeah. The relationship after that was with a man who um who uh was going through divorce at the same time and a massive spiritual like unfolding of what his life had been, he had cheated on his wife for most of their mm. marriage, which originally without the healing that I did would have made me run for the hills. But instead mm -hmm. I said, I still am really interested and want to get to know you, but we're not doing it in this way. And you're not going to lie to me. What I need is honesty. So let's go into this as an open relationship. This was back in 2004. Look at you. <laughs> And it was very empowering for me because my father had had an affair and I was like, you know what? I'm rewriting my story. Um, and we, we opened up our relationship, but we were never super serious, this guy and me. And so during that 18 month open relationship, I met my, my husband, I met the man that I was like, okay, I want to create a life with this man. We got married. We had children. We had always talked about 
having this is like not doing relationships like society says we should do relationships. That was mm -hmm. always in our like vision. Let's just do things our way. So we looked like we were doing what everyone else was doing. We met, we got married, we started having children. Well, I was 38 at the time. So I was like, well, if we're going to have kids, we got to have kids now. Yeah. So I had my first child at 38, my second at 43. And in the time, like around where my second was like three or four, starting going to preschool, we started having the conversation again about like, we are we going to do this? Are we going to try non-monogamy opening things up? This was maybe like 2017, 18. And we were like, yeah, we want to do this. We just don't know how because our lives are so full. But we kept kind of going talking about it. And I knew that he had never had that experience. I had. And it was important for him to have this experience. So I was just like, okay, this is like, we got to, we're going to figure this out. Well, we kind of let that go. And in 2020, January, a man walked into my life and kind of rocked my world. And um, I didn't even say anything to this other guy and went to my husband about two or three months into our, um, you know, our friendship, which was all it was. And I said, you know what, I actually, I, I, I'm having feelings for this guy and I need to talk to you about it. And what do I do with it? Do I say something like, are we going to launch this? And he was like, I, I think you should say something, which was really big for him because he didn't have another person, but he was like, I think let's start going into it. Yeah. So this was at the beginning of the pandemic <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Oy vey, fun timing. Crazy. Yeah. 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 A lot of this happened. Yeah. This is interesting. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of navigating because he was married at the time. Um, and I had lots of conversations with his wife. We had lots of conversations. I mean, there's so much, so much talking before. Yeah anything was launched, but we, but he and I launched a relationship in May of 2020 and we're still together and he is not together with his wife. Wow. Um, yeah, that was an unfolding. That was actually, um, the way that he and her talk about it is it didn't have anything to do with what was happening it was more of that was more of like a catalyst of what was probably going to happen anyway which is we all talk about right polyamory if you go into it and you have issues with your relationship it only like magnifies those so yeah. that's what yeah. it did in their relationship in my husband and i my husband met his partner a year after and they've been together for two years and you know my partner and me have been together for three years and my husband and I have been together for 17 years. So I think that's pretty long-term. <laughs> yeah. It's not ending because I love it. And I just feel like they're, the relationships help each other. And I'm learning so much from both that help and support each other. It's not always easy. <laughs> I'm not saying it's yeah. easy. There's a lot of emotions and triggering and all that kind of stuff, but Overall, I feel like it has been such an incredible experience. What are some of the harder aspects and what are some of the gifts 
and, and no. things that you love about it? For us in our situation, um, time, time, us scheduling is Amen. really <laughs> challenging because yeah. we've got two kids and we've got a business that we're in together and we've each got our own separate business and like scheduling is, is a lot. Um, you know, we have, I've seen the evolution of kind of our polyamorous experience grow and change and shift throughout these three years, because for the first two years, no one knew about it. But in this last year was our real coming out to our family, to our kids, to, um, to our good friends. Um, and then started, you know, I started my podcast in 2022, September. So um, it was a real coming out to our family. And we've been like blown away at how incredibly accepting everyone who is close to us has been, including our kids. It's been really beautiful. Would you be open to sharing a little bit about what that coming out looked mm. like, both with specifically family and kids? Because yes. this is a, a topic that, I know I get asked about a lot and I've shared my story, no kids yet, um, yeah. but in terms of family, and I'm, I'm really curious if, if you could share yours. Yeah. It was terrifying. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it is a soul start there. It was really scary, but we came out to, so I came out to one of my brothers earlier on, um, because he was going through his own relationship experience mm. and we were sharing really like deep things and he was just like so loving and accepting and and i come from a very loving family of three brothers um my mother cultivated unconditional love and um and my mother you, you know we talked about this in my podcast or I don't know, at some point, my mother just passed and she knew about it before she had passed and was, she had, she had come to visit for three weeks in, I live in North Carolina, she's in Maryland. And after seeing my life and how crazy it is, she's like, I get why this works for you. I understand. I could never do this, but I understand how this works for you. Like, and, and so it was really just a process of mom, I need to tell you something. And you know, I've always been, I've always, you know, marched to the beat of my own drum. This is what I'm doing. I'll tell you like the biggest fears that my parents had were like, were something that they, they really love my husband, as do mm -hmm. I. And they're like, I don't want, I don't understand this. You know, it's just, it's a different generation and they just didn't understand it. And, um, my father was the same way. He really didn't get it. He doesn't get it. He's concerned about me. But at the same time, he's slowly opening up to the idea. It's taken maybe six or seven months, but he's opened up to it. And I tell him like, this is, this could have been an option possibly for you instead of having an affair, but you know, it just wasn't around. Right. So this is yeah. me being able to honor my needs um, while also honoring my husband as a person, as someone I love the honesty, the communication, it's like a total reframe of what happened. So that was, that was my parents and my family, my kids. 
So my kids are very, um, how old are they just for context? Yeah. So they're 14 and nine right now. So when we introduced it, they were 13 and eight. Okay. And so we introduced it separately to each of them because they have a different understanding about relationships, sex, you know, not that we brought anything about sex into the conversation. That was not a part of it, but still they have a different, they're in a different, you know, Mm -hmm. place. And my kids, um, you know, we grew up in theater. My husband and I are, were theater professionals. Um, we grew up with lots of different um, sexual identities, gender identities, and we talk about that a lot amongst the kids. Um, I officiate a lot of weddings. I've officiated a bunch of weddings of all different uh, gender and sexual identities. So they're very open and they understand diversity of that. And that's how I introduced it to them. So I said, you know how there is a bunch of different gender identities and there's diversity within that. And they both said, yeah, we know. And I said, well, there is diversity within relationships, but no one Mm -hmm. talks about it. All you ever hear about is a one person married to another person, which is called monogamy. But there are many different ways for relationships to show up and your dad and I are doing something different. And then we explained what it was and we explained it, you know, just like there are other people that we care and love and love. We care about and we love them and we want you to know about them because we care and love you. We, we care about and love you and we want you to know about them because they're really cool people. Yeah. And one of the questions that my 14 year old had was, well, I don't want anyone else to be my mom and my dad. And we're like, that's never going to happen. We are your mom and your dad. And after that, he was like, oh, well, I really like this. This is really interesting. I want to meet them. That's amazing. Have they had other questions since? Um, they they have and i'm trying to remember what they were more like you know more about the our other partners as people who are they how old are they Mm -hmm. do they have Mm -hmm. kids um they have met one time and we've just my husband and i have been very protective of our kids and wanting to really cultivate as much as possible their experience but um but their questions have more been about them and what they like to do, you know? Oh, he likes to play video games. Will he play with me? You know, oh, his son likes to play Minecraft. Will he play with me, you know? Oh, and like, you know, we all share a Duolingo account and, you know, we like do a little Duolingo, um, you know, uh, challenges together. And so I think the questions have more been surface conversation, not really about, the, our relationships with them. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody were to hear this and push back with like, this isn't for kids or why, why do you need to involve your kids? Like that, Mm -hmm. that type of pushback. Yeah. What would you say to that? Well, for us, we have been very age appropriate. So we don't talk about what we do when we're together we just talk about that we like to spend time with that other person 
it was important for us to involve our children because like the way that we have it is that one day a week we go away overnight and it felt like we were keeping something important from people who we really really love our children and you know three years old didn't feel well i guess it started when um he was seven so seven didn't feel right eight didn't feel right nine felt right to us you know eight nine felt right it also was then more of a long-term thing right like right in the same way that uh someone who is monogamous and divorced and dating wouldn't introduce someone that they've been on three dates with or two dates with, um, they would wait until it was someone more significant, um, in their lives to, and it sounds like that, that timing happened to align with the age ages as well. That's a great point. And I think that we, you know, my husband and I determined that this is something that's really nurturing for us, we've looked at this other experience as a self-care, as a way for us to be who we are and be with someone, not as a father or a wife, you know, a husband, but like as just ourselves. So, and we, it's really, really working for us. So you're right. It's like a long-term thing. And we found people who we really care for. I love my husband's partner. I love her. She's so supportive and caring about our relationship and same with my partner for our relationship, you know, my marriage. And so, yeah, it just feels like, no, that we're doing this. And so you're right. That felt like that timing kind of became synchronistic. Has one of the things that (laughs) I was just about to ask first, but I want to give context. One of the, the questions that I've received or like pushback type questions that I've received around this is like, well, you spend a lot of time with your friends. So why tell kids about what the nature of the relationship is mm-hmm. versus just saying, this is my friend, Jane, or this mm-hmm. is my friend, Joe. And I'm wondering coming from the person in it, why that felt important to you? Cause I know why it would feel important to me. Yeah. Um, but what, what about that felt important to you? I think that our other partners feel, I, I, it's weird to say like more than friends. I I don't know. That's just feels weird to me to say, but that there was, there's a significance in that relationship Mm -hmm. that I want my kids to be a part of. I want Mm -hmm. them to understand that there are diverse ways of being in relationships. And it's not that it has to be, it has to work for anyone else. It's like, I'm not saying polyamory is for everyone. I would actually probably tell people don't do it unless you're really called to because it requires, you know, a lot of intention and awareness and response, you know, self-responsibility. But I think like I, I wanted to normalize it more. I didn't want it to be, I didn't want to, like, I think that I feel, we feel our relationship with our other partners are more significant than I'm just going to be hang out with a friend. And the fact that we go overnight once a week, that to me is like, they've never seen me go once, you know, a week overnight to a friend's house. Yes. Yes. And they they don't know what we do. Right. And, and, and I'm not, 
against sharing it, but it's not, I'm not offering it. They don't need to know. They just know we go and we hang out with our friends, someone who we really, really care about. Um, Yeah. Yep. And when they want to know, they'll ask. And then you can decide what is appropriate to share. Exactly. Just like with anything. Like you wouldn't say, let's say you were going over to like, I don't know, do Molly or like go over to like get drunk. You're not going to be like, yeah, we're going to get fucked up tonight, guys. I'll be back tomorrow. Like, you don't need to share this information no. with a nine-year-old. And you wouldn't. You'd say, like, a point of my I'm going to Jane's house. Like, Yeah. And we're going to yeah. go have fun. Yeah. And, you know, this, this all is a way we feel of creating a container where our kids feel that they can come to us with anything. We have open conversations age appropriate about sex, about, um, you know, self-pleasure, about, you know, um, we want them to know that they can come to us, that they will hear things on the playground. And if they doubt it, um, they can absolutely come and ask us anything and we will be honest and tell them the truth. My nine-year-old just came to me and said, I mean, you know, he, he, he said what he thought sex was what he had heard because they're talking about it that early and i said that's incorrect and i need you to know that that is incorrect Mm -hmm. and my husband and i had the conversation of this is what is correct this is what sex really you know in a very age-appropriate way um but it sets up that container and that's what i feel is the most important is that the kids know that we are here for them and that they can talk to us about anything. We won't get embarrassed. Oh my God, I can't believe you're asking about that. Um, And watching the kind of growth from my son, who's now 14, it's, it's pretty big. It's pretty big that he, and he has expressed that he can come to us and talk to us about anything and how much that means to him. Oh, I love this so much. Just as we wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask you or we didn't get, I know we didn't get to a lot, um, but is there anything that you want to leave everyone with? Well, I guess it's the idea that, you know, a lot of people say polyamory doesn't work or Mm -hmm. even like monogamy doesn't work or something doesn't work. Some kind of relationship. All of this doesn't work. (laughs) Doesn't work. And what I want to say is that every structure, whether it fits into a neat box or travels between many different structures, has a wounded side and a healed side, has a wounded perspective and a healed perspective. Every, any kind of relationship will not work if you're not doing your own work and looking at your wounds and doing the best you can to, you know, do your healing work, whatever that looks like. Nothing will work. (laughs) If you look at things like, and to bring it back to conscious uncoupling with awareness, compassion, and just consciousness, then any structure and every structure has the ability to, I'm doing air quotes, work or yes. be successful or be a part of a, a chapter in your life where you say, wow, that was really 
amazing, not great, not easy all the time, but wow, did I grow and learn and how much that's helping my current relationship experience. And so instead of just stopping at it won't work, maybe go a layer deeper and start to look at yourself and get help from someone like Rachel or someone like me to help you to do your healing. Because like when I was going through that divorce and it was the lowest, I had to have someone outside of me help me. I couldn't do it by myself. And it catapulted me into a totally different experience. So that's what I would, that's what I would love to leave people with. I remember being in New York city in my little loft apartment crying, saying relationships will never work for me. I will never be able to do it. And here I am 30 years later, but still um, in two incredible relationships where I feel honored. I feel like my needs are met. I feel like I'm able to express myself. It is possible because I never thought it was, but now I'm on this side. Thank you. I'm I'm so grateful uh, for you sharing all of this. And I'm wondering how you feel right now. I feel good. Good. Hoping was helpful for someone. That's what I yes. What I yes. hope more than anything. And friends listening, um, I will put all of Carrie's information in the show notes as usual. Carrie, for anyone who's more auditory or uh, can't pull up show notes because you know, <laughs> sometimes that's hard. <laughs> uh, where can they find you? <laughs> yes, go check out um, my podcast, Relationship Diversity Podcast. And you can also go to relationshipdiversitypodcast.com to learn more and to get all of the different platforms that it's on. I'm also um, on Instagram. It's Carrie underscore Jarislow underscore author underscore coach on Instagram. And, you know, I, I, by this point, um, I will have finished this, but I am really doing a lot of exploration into what relationship diversity is and how it can show up in your life. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. And Anyone who wants to follow up has questions as usual, please feel free to write, tag, um, submit. You know, if I'm doing an AMA, let me know that you have a question specifically for Carrie um, and I can, you know, pass it along and and kick it over. So thank you. Thank you, Rachel, for everything you're doing, because this, these kinds of conversations are maybe not always easy, but really important. So thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Carrie. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together. <laughs>